Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, folks. Well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Sandoval Show. As always, we are interested here at the clinic in our health, our spiritual health, our mental health, and our physical health. It all happening at the same time. Today, we're going to talk about the discernment of spirits. What does that mean? What did St. Ignatius mean by that? But really, more than anything else, what does that mean for us as parents? Especially, you know, as a dad, talking to the dads, um, really focusing on if there's a discernment of spirits, okay, we're going to figure that out. It doesn't mean that it's all diabolical or deliverance ministry, but we need to figure out what's going on in our internal spiritual life. Why? Because we need to pass on the faith to our children, and even more importantly, to our grandchildren. Let's get started here with the Angelus at the top of the noon hour. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You might hear my dog there in the background. He's a little bit feisty this morning, but he'll quiet down in just a second. Well, folks, today, <clears throat> let's talk about the discernment of spirits. We talked about it last week, if you were listening to the show. Why is this important? What does it mean? Um, does it have to do specifically with the demonic or the dark side uh, of the spiritual world? <clears throat> Not necessarily. The discernment of spirits is told to us by St. Ignatius of Loyola is really more than anything else, different spiritual movements, um, different things that are going on in our lives, uh, in our spiritual life, where we have to ask ourselves, is this good? Is this bad? Um, <clears throat> is the soul ready uh, to receive the good and to reject the bad? That's really what it comes down to. How do I know something is spiritually good for me? Because here's the deal. Just because something feels good doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do. You know, a lot of times in our generation, especially, I say generation, what I mean is really more the spirit, the current modern spirit of the world, what happens is it's a very feel-good spirit. What does that mean? It means that if it feels good, do it, right? So that's that's really what 
our kids are thinking. That's really what um, you know society as a whole is telling us. And we see this happening all the time. How do we know? Because we want immediate gratification. We no longer do we, you know, if we think about it, you can go on the internet nowadays, purchase something, and they're trying to say, hey, before, you know, you'd purchase something and say, it'll get there in about a month, in four to six weeks. Now they're like, it'll get there tomorrow. And they were even trying, different companies are trying to say, I'm going to get you your packages within an hour. What we're going to do is we're going to have drones, we're going to fly your package over, so you don't have to wait. Well, there's something very important about waiting. We used to say patience is a virtue. We used to practice patience. Why? Because in the spiritual life, nothing is immediate. You know, a lot of times when people come to me in clinic, they want to feel good and they want to feel good right away. They want to feel good now, today, um, without uh, without any sense of saying, hey, you know what? I don't feel good, but it's okay. I need to wait this out. This will pass, as St. Teresa of Avalos would say. This too shall pass. We're no longer in that spirit, in that in that mindset. And I should say that spiritual mindset, because it carries over. You know, with the material world, if I get my packages, my groceries within an hour, within two hours, um, <clears throat> okay, guess what? My brain got used to that. My mind got used to that. My body got used to that. But my spirit got used to that too. And so a lot of times we forget we need a little bit of patience. We need to stop and wait because the spiritual world is not going to happen that fast. We can't, uh, we can't play around with God's time, shall we say, because God is out of time. Give an example. When somebody goes to confession, usually we want to go to confession when we finally say, oh yeah, okay, you know what? I'm really sorry for the sin and I'm going to go to confession and I'm going to get it taken care of and then I'm going to feel great. Unfortunately, that's the way that the modern world thinks and that's not the way that the spiritual world works. If a friend offended me and came to me within a second and said, you know what? I'm really sorry I did that. I would wonder, are you really sorry? Did you have the time to think about it? Do you understand what happened here, especially if it was something grave or something of grave matter. I think God's thinking about us in the same way, um, where he's saying, hey, if you committed a sin, did you really think about what happened here? Did you think about our relationship? Are you truly, truly sorry? No, that's not to say that we have been trying to live a spiritual life and we um, have been making examinations of conscience and really trying to understand what's right, what's wrong in our lives. If we do fall into sin, yeah, some people will right away say, oh, got to get rid of this. I, I can't believe I did that. Come back to it and make up for it. But here's the other side of the coin. Just because I went to confession and I did my penance doesn't mean I'm going to feel good right away. It's not an instant fix. I see this all the time in clinic. I compare it to people coming and saying, Dr. Sandoval, I don't feel good. I think I'm depressed. Can I get a pill and feel good? Gosh, by tomorrow. So I can sleep it off and tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up and feel great. It doesn't work that way. The medication takes time to work. It takes time to feel better. Um, any medication, I'll tell you what, any medication that works right away usually goes away right away. The effects of that medication go away right away really quickly. And that's how people become addicted. They start to say, oh man, that felt really good. And now it wore off. No, I can't have that. I need to have more right away. Versus understanding healing takes time. That's really what it comes down to. Healing is going to take time. And when we talk about the discernment of spirits, we got to realize that we're going to be in good times spiritually and in bad times spiritually. But either way, we got to write them out equally. Yes, one feels better if I'm in a state of consolation, as we're going to see, versus in a state of desolation. But we have to be patient about it. When it comes to confession, when it comes to healing our relationship with God, it's the same thing. If I go to confession, I might not feel good for a week or two. 
because there's still healing taking place. Healing takes time. So even if I do my penance today, sometimes we think, oh, if I do my penance, okay, that's it. I'm going to feel good. I'm going to stay to grace. And, and that's perfect. Well, we got to remember, we still got to make up for the temporal punishment. While I might be in a state of grace, being in a state of grace doesn't always mean that I'm feeling good, that I'm super elevated or anything along those lines in terms of the spiritual world. It means that I'm in good with God, but I might not be feeling my best. That's important to consider when we look at the discernment of spirits and the rules of St. Ignatius. Now, there's 14 of them. I'm going to put a link to an article uh, here on the video. That doesn't mean that we're going to go through all 14 uh, today, but let's summarize some of them. Let's hit the key points because then I want to see what does this have to do for us as parents, particularly for the dads? What does this mean for us as the Catholic head of our household? That's a big deal. You know, the man is the head of the household and, and that's how it goes spiritually. Those are the spiritual rules. What does that mean for us? What's that? What's the responsibility I carry uh, when I do that? And how do I carry that out the best for my family, for my kids, but more importantly, for the future generations? Well, let's start with the rules. So St. Ignatius gives us this idea of, so I'll just read a little bit from this article. It says, rules for becoming aware and understanding to some extent the different movements which are caused in the soul, the good to receive them and the bad to reject them. So what does it mean by movements? We understand this. You know, if you ever listen to uh, classical music, especially if you've ever been to a symphony or anything along those lines, they talk about the movement of the music. And really what it is, is as the music is playing, as the symphony is, uh, uh, the orchestra is playing the music, you're going to notice that there's different times of the music. Sometimes it's softer, sometimes it's faster. And those are what's called movements. It, it puts us into different moods. We see this all the time in movies. You know, they have a really good soundtrack. Sometimes the music that comes along during a very emotive scene or during a very sad scene might move us to tears. And sometimes if we're watching an action-packed movie, they're going to have faster uh, type soundtrack that's going to uh, want to make us move and take action because the music is going along with what's happening in the scene. And so in the same way, the soul is going to go through different movements. It's going to go through movements of happiness. It's going to go through movements of sadness. But that doesn't mean that God is any closer or further from us based on how we feel. I think that that's what's important to consider. Well, let's look at the first rule. The first rule in this discernment of the spirit, discernment of spirits, uh, and ass assessing what's good and what's bad says, in the persons who go from mortal sin to mortal sin. So right away, St. Ignatius is already telling us, hey, let's talk about sin. Let's talk about serious sin. And let's talk about, and it's no surprise, there's a repetitive nature of it. He's saying people who go from mortal sin to mortal sin, the enemy is commonly used to propose to them apparent pleasures, making them imagine sensual delights and pleasures in order to hold them more and make them grow in their vice and sins. Remember, we can never say the devil made me do it. I can say I was tempted to do it. I can say I was inspired to do something bad. Now, inspired sounds like it should be a positive word, but that's what happens. Well, we got to remember it's important to use a positive word like that because a lot of times when we are tempted to do something bad, we're going to have a very positive feeling. And that's what tells us, that's what this first rule tells us. It says people are going from mortal sin to mortal sin. The enemy, evil spirits, the spirit of the world is going to propose apparent pleasures. We saw this from day one in the Garden of Eden. Eve saw that the fruit was pleasurable and good, yet God had told her not to take partake of it. But what happens when this occurs to us? We're going to find out a little bit more when we come back from the break and continue the rules of discernment of 
All right, folks, well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Sandoval Show. Today we're talking about the discernment of spirits. Why is this important and why is this important in terms of educating our future generations? The most important thing is this, more than anything else, I need to know what's happening in my own spiritual life. I need to have navigated that road. I need to have, uh, shall we say, sailed those waters in the treacherous seas if I'm going to teach the future generations. That's really what it comes down to. There is a battle right now for the mind of our children, for the heart of our children, for the morality of our children. And if we don't take hold of that, if we don't take that step uh, and, and get ahead of the game and teach our our children first what we know to be true, the world's going to be more than happy to teach them for us. And they're not going to teach them. They're going to teach them what they think is true. They're not going to teach them what we know in terms of the deposit of the faith, the eternal truths of the Catholic faith, you know, and ultimately making them better, better people, better citizens ready for the citizenship of heaven. Well, we're talking about the rules of St. Ignatius. We're on the first rule here of the discernment of spirits. Important to understand that the enemy is commonly used to propose apparent pleasures when it comes from mortal sin to mortal sin, people who are committing sins, mortal sins, serious sins, because the devil, the enemy, the world is going to want to convince us it's okay. It feels good. If it feels good, there's sensual delights, there's immediate pleasure, then it can't be bad. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Why not do it? Here's the interesting thing. This is what St. Ignatius tells us, that while that's happening, because the enemy wants us to grow in vice and sin, heaven wants us to grow in grace. But what's happening? You've got to remember, both sides are happening at the same time. If we're being tempted by uh, the, the demonic, shall we say, we're also going to be inspired by heaven. But how does heaven inspire us if we are in a state of mortal sin? It says this, in the persons, in these persons, people who are going from sin to sin, mortal sin to mortal sin, the good spirit uses the opposite method. So instead of pleasures and delight, the good spirit is actually pricking them and biting their conscience through the process of reason. So when we start to reason it out, I know it feels good, but I know intellectually it's not good. And that doesn't, you know, that part doesn't feel good. So if I look at it from a sensual side, if I look at mortal sins or the the pleasures of the world from just the senses, it feels good in the senses. But intellectually, in the brain, it feels really bad. I'm not thinking straight. Something's wrong. My mind, we always say, yeah, you know, while I was doing that in the back of my mind, notice what we say, it felt good, but I knew it was wrong. Psychologically speaking, this is important to consider. Look at the language. It felt good. It felt, meaning the senses, right? How do we feel things? Well, we can say, it, I sensed that it was good, whether it was through my eyes, through my ears, through touch, through taste, whatever it was, that part was good. The central component, the senses were good. But in my mind, in the back of my mind, my intellect, when I thought about it, the thoughts, I knew that that was not good. And that's heaven talking to us in the intellectual component of it. So that's the first thing to consider in our own spiritual lives. If I'm going to teach my children down the road, I'm going to let them know, hey, there's some things that are going to feel good, but they're not good for you. It's going to be delightful to the senses, but bad for the intellect, which usually means if that's the case, here's the formula. If it's great for the senses, but bad for the intellect, it's probably not good for the soul. You know, it's probably not good for the soul. What's the second rule? The second rule is that, here's the the flip side of the coin. In persons who are going on intensely cleansing their sins and rising from good to better in the service of God, our Lord, It is the method contrary to that in the first rule. 
For then it is the way of the evil spirits to bite, sadden, and put obstacles disquieting with false reasons that one may not go on, and it is proper to do good, to give courage and strength, consolation, tears, inspiration, and quiet easing, and putting away all obstacles that one may go in well-doing. That's the, the good spirit. So here's the, here's the situation, folks. If we're in mortal sin, if we're going down the wrong path, the enemy is going to want to say, keep doing that. It's going to feel good. When we're trying to go to the whole path of holiness, when we're trying to keep it on the straight and narrow, by St. Ignatius' reasoning, which makes sense, the second way, the second rule tells us, hey, if you're going to try to get closer to God, if you're really going to make that effort, if you're really going to take that first step down this road, guess what? It's not going to feel good. It doesn't feel good for the senses. There's going to be, you know, the, the evil spirits, the enemies are there. Now they're the ones biting. They're going to, you're going to feel sad. There's going to be obstacles. Your world's going to be disquieted. There's going to be false reasons. You're going to feel like you cannot go on. However, the good spirit then, now in the intellect, is going to give you strength, consolation, inspiration, quiet, easing. How is your mind? Are you thinking rationally? Are you at peace in your mind? That's really where the true peace comes from. Notice that it's the flip side. So now we're heading down the right path. How do we know? Yeah, it might not feel good uh, physically. We might uh, feel like, oh, the world, something's wrong. I'm starting, what's going on here? I'm trying to follow God's way. I'm trying to get closer to God. I'm trying to pray more. And yet my world is turned upside down. You know, this happens a lot to people when they decide, you know, when I realize that the Catholic faith is the right faith, I want to join RCIA. I want to uh, join the Catholic Church. I want to get closer to God. I want to receive the sacraments. I think I'm going to head down this path. And all of a sudden, they'll do that. And they say, for some whatever reason, gosh, things are just not, things don't feel good now. There's things going on in my life. That's the disquieting that can happen. The question is, what path are we taking? Are we doing the things that we know, notice again, in the intellect, that we know are good, are right. Am I following the right rules of God? Now this is where faith comes in. This is where I have to trust in God and say, hey, you know, even though I'm not uh, feeling too good, I know that I'm doing the right things. I just got to keep going with this. It's kind of like starting a new exercise regimen or something. It hurts at first. It hurts at first, but you realize, you know what though, but this is good for my body in the long run. Uh, it's going to be good for my brain in the long run. I got to stick with it. This is what we got to remember as parents. This is what we got to remember as educators. This is what we got to remember as people who need to live the example of a good Catholic life. Why? Because a lot of times people feel like, well, if you're following God's way and if you're following, uh, you know, the the path of, of Christianity, of Catholicism, if you're following the rules of the Catechism, of the Ten Commandments, you're going to church, you should not have any problems in this life. And that's not the case. That's not the case at all. We've got to remember, it doesn't always feel good uh, internally, intellectually, spiritually to follow God. It doesn't always, it's not always going to be pleasant. This is important to consider. Why do I focus on this? Because again, today's society, today's children, think about my children, I think about it as a parent. Society is telling us if it doesn't feel good, something's wrong. You should always feel good. You should never feel bad. You should never be depressed. You should never be worried. You should never be in any form, any state of desolation. And that's not the case. Sometimes if we're not feeling good, we got to, I want to teach my children. Guess what? Sometimes maybe God's working in your life. Maybe God's trying to tell you, you need to improve in a certain way, or you need to take a step back and really ask yourself, am I headed down the right path? Well, let's look at the third rule. The third rule says, is what, uh, again, St. Ignatius tells us, 
I call it consolation. So remember, consolation versus desolation. Consolation is when some interior movement in the soul is caused through which the soul comes to be inflamed with love of its creator and Lord. And when it can be, and when it can, in consequence, love no created thing on the face of the earth itself, but in the creator of them all. In other words, it's when the soul is so moved to love God that nothing else matters. That's really where we want to be. That's where we, that's the ideal. That's what we think we're always going to be. And we think we're always going to be in the state of, wow, if I convert my life and I turn to God, I'm always going to be inspired to just love God. Nothing else is going to matter. I'm going to be moved in such a way that I am so happy that I am always at peace. And that's never going to go away. On While we're on the face of this earth, it's not always going to be that way. We are going to have those moments. We want to hold on to those moments. But as we hold on to those moments, we got to remember the bad times are going to come too. It comes in waves. So it's just like the like the waves of the ocean. It comes and goes. We're going to have these moments where we're inspired. We feel at peace. We want to be closer to God. And then we're going to have moments of desolation. There's a fourth rule, desolation. St. Ignatius says, I call desolation all the contrary of the third rule. In other words, we're not going to feel inspired anymore. As he says, such as darkness of soul, disturbance in it, movement to things low and earthly, the unquiet of different agitations and temptations, moving to want of confidence without hope, without love. Then one finds oneself all lazy, tepid, sad, as if separated from this creator, the Lord. Because as consolation is contrary to desolation in the same way, the thoughts which come from consolation are contrary to the thoughts which come from desolation. In other words, when we're in a state of consolation, when we're feeling spiritually well, when we're feeling like we're doing the right thing and we're so close to God, everything's wonderful. Desolation actually brings us the other way. This is important to consider. A lot of people will come to the clinic and feel that they're depressed. And they say, Dr. Sandoval, I am going through a major depression. I just don't feel good. I don't know what's going on. And a lot of times I will ask people, how's your spiritual life? We got to start there. How's your how's your prayer life? You know, a little spotty, not feeling so good. I haven't really been praying. But we got to start there because even in the moment of desolation, let's say that we are going through a spiritual trial, it can feel like a depression. Obviously, from what I just read, everything's sad, everything's hopeless, everything is uh, in a state where you know nothing feels good. I feel lazy, tepid, uh, as if separated from my Creator. You know, without love, without hope full without any confidence. These are moments of desolation. This is where we're being tested spiritually. Now, can it be an actual clinical depression? Of course, I can never discount that. That's the first thing I look for, especially as a psychiatrist. You come to my clinic, we're going to take a look at, are you depressed? Are you anxious? How are you feeling? Let's evaluate that. Let's look at it from a clinical perspective. But at the same time, we got to remember the soul is happening. God is still working in our lives. Just because uh, you could be going through a clinical depression and a moment of desolation, why not? These could these things are not mutually exclusive. This is just like the age-old question where people say, is this mental illness? Is this demonic possession? Is this an oppression? What is it? Could be both. Why not? They're not mutually exclusive. It would be incorrect to say, oh, it can only be one or the other. That's like saying, well, the person can only have diabetes, but they can't be anxious. It doesn't make sense. We're body, soul, spirit, all happening at the same time right? Body, mind, spirit, I should say. And so each of these components, one could be good and the other two bad, all three bad, all three good. It just depends on what's going on in our life. We could be going through a moment of desolation and it's not going to feel good. We could be going at the same time through a moment of depression. You might need medication and you might need to up your spiritual life or just be patient and wait for the wave to pass. 
from desolation, when we are in these moments, the most important thing to remember is that there is hope. So let's look at the fifth rule really quickly. It says, in a time of desolation, never make a change. And this is true. When we are feeling down, when we're feeling depressed, if we're in a negative place, it's never good to make big life decisions. It's never good to break up in a relationship. And it's never good to, say, propose to marriage if we're in the middle of an engagement. Uh, because we we don't want to go to the extremes. We're, for the most part, we're going to find ourselves in life kind of in between. A little bit of desolation, a little bit of consolation, all happy at the same time. But if we are in a moment where it's all desolation, all dark, we don't want to make big decisions. It says, St. Ignatius tells us, but to be firm and constant in the resolutions and determinations in which one was the day preceding uh, the desolation. In other words, keep going on with life the way it is. You know, don't say, oh, well, Dr. Sandoval said that I shouldn't uh, get engaged or make big, change, big drastic changes in my life. No, if you're already headed towards marriage, you're already headed in that direction, that's great. Keep heading in that direction. That doesn't mean that if you're feeling desolate that you should stop that. However, we should stop and question, hey, is this the right decision for me? Is this God telling me something? Is this already me feeling like this wasn't right? It's important to ask ourselves these questions in these moments, desolation, consolation, without making big life decisions. We're going to talk a little bit more about this and a little bit more about how do we teach our kids. All right, folks, well, welcome back to Bird Most Powerful Radio. Today, we are talking about what's going on in our spiritual lives. What's going on as far as how we feel in our spiritual lives and why does that matter? It's important to consider because a lot of times it's easy to feel like God has abandoned me. I feel alone. I'm in a moment of desolation, as St. Ignatius tells us in his rules of discernment of spirits. I'm in a moment of sadness. And in the midst of the sadness, I feel like God doesn't care about me. So why should I care about God? Maybe I'll just leave my live live my own life with whatever I feel is good or bad. At that point, we've lost direction. We've lost our sense of self. It's also dangerous in moments of consolation where we're feeling good, feeling really inspired feeling really close to God, to feel like nothing can touch me. Now I'm in, in this place of perfection. It's never going to go away. And it doesn't matter what I do. I'm already perfected. And I'm going to move forward. And if I hurt somebody's feelings, well, that's, you know, they're going to have to deal with it because I feel good. Got to be somewhere in between. You know, if you ever go through life and you see people or you meet people who it seems like they don't have a care in the world, they're able to just, um, you know, go through life and you, you, you look around and you say, oh, nothing bothers them. They're okay. It's not that they don't have a care in the world. If by the very nature of being on this planet, every one of us is going to be afflicted in different ways, either in the spiritual, the material, there's always going to be something to navigate. The difference is somebody who appears like they don't have a care in the world, who are pretty steady every time you meet them, they're not too upset about things, they're not too elated about things. For the most part, my guess is they've learned how to navigate this part of the spiritual world very well. They don't get too excited. They don't get too depressed. They're able to say, you know, this is good. This is bad. But somehow I'm going to keep it in the middle. I'm going to keep following God. I think they've managed to really say, I understand the desolations are, are going to come. I understand that consolations are going to come. But either way, I got to stay in the middle of those. I can't pay attention to either of the extremes. It was interesting to me. You know, I love sports. I love um, watching different competitions. And I remember one of the coaches who uh, they were interviewing him uh, after winning a championship. And they said, how's it feel? And he said, you know, after a while, winning the championship, losing the championship, 
it kind of feels the same. You know, you, you, when you navigate the waters at the end of the day, it's, it's not too different, whether you win, whether you lose, it's how you carry yourself in that moment. And I think that that's really important for us to consider, especially in the Catholic world, especially if we feel like we're being attacked um, by the world. If we feel like things, you know, the world is, is not moving in our direction, not inspiring us. What we've got to remember is we got to keep walking down the middle of the road. So what does this mean for us as parents? More than anything else, if we're going to educate our children, it's important to consider first these movements of the spirit, understanding how the soul works, understanding what we need to pay attention to and not pay attention to, because I can only teach what I know. If I haven't navigated these waters before, how am I going to teach my children? Hey, you know, sometimes things are going to feel good. Sometimes things aren't going to feel good, but you got to keep your eye on the prize. You got to keep your eye on heaven, regardless of where you are emotionally in life. That's important to consider because it's a very different message than the message of the world. The message of the world right now is if it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, something's wrong. That's really what it comes down to. You know, when we start to hear um, what, um, uh, shall we say, the teachings of the world for our children. It's important to consider and to understand that. And we need to have that mindset. Our children are learning and they're going to learn whatever's around them. And they're going to learn, they're being taught all the time. Sometimes we we think about, you know, teaching is just uh, limited to the school, to the classroom. Who's your teacher? That's where the kids are learning because they're learning their math. They're learning their social studies, their geography, their history, whatever it is, whatever textbook subjects they're learning. That's what we consider learning. We kind of look at this from the eyes of parents, from the eyes of God, from the eyes of the church, from the eyes of the world. We're all learning at the same time. We're all being taught something. Something is being placed in front of us. There's always advertisement. There's always going to be some commercial, shall we say. Uh, we think of commercials on TV, but if we look around the world, there's billboards everywhere. There's messages everywhere. These are all commercials and advertisement that we are constantly exposed to and our children are constantly exposed to. As Catholic parents, our fight is, I need to battle that. I need to do my own advertising. I need to make sure that my children are going to understand that things are going to feel good. Things are going to feel bad. But at the end of the day, we got to keep our focus on God. It doesn't matter where we are in terms of our emotions, in terms of, of uh, how we're feeling necessarily. It's great to feel good. And it's great to be inspired to uh, follow God. And those are the, the thoughts, the sensations that we need to follow. But, but the world is going to tell you certain things. And this is what I would tell my kids. I got to teach the future generations. I would tell them, the world's not going to talk to you about the feeling of guilt. In fact, in the clinic, in psychology, in psychiatry, in medicine, we never talk about guilt. If you're feeling guilty, you need to ignore that is what most people would say. It's not a topic that's in the DSM. It's not a topic that we talk about in therapy. It's not a topic. In fact, we want to ignore it. We want to erase it. That's the spirit of the world. You got to erase guilt. Guilt can actually be a very, very good feeling. I didn't say it feels good. I said it can be a good feeling. It can be a good state to be in because it's going to make me question, why am I feeling this way? I'm feeling like something's off. I'm feeling like something's wrong. I'm feeling like I need to repair something to make up for something. If we think about it, you know, if I steal money from a friend of mine and I know that he needed it and I take it from him and I never tell him, well, first of all, is he really my friend? Am I his friend? But if I start to feel guilty afterwards, that's a good feeling. 
That's that's something good. It doesn't feel good that I feel guilty, but it's telling me, hey, you did something wrong. The idea of guilt is that there is a right and there is a wrong. The world wants to ignore that because then all of a sudden you're faced with the reality of, hey, I got to decide what's right and wrong. That's what we need to teach our children. The world wants to tell you there is no right or wrong. That's not what we've learned from Jesus Christ. That's not what we learned in the deposit of our faith. That's not what we learned from the eternal truths of the Catholic Church is that there is a right and wrong. We're going to be judged in that way. There's no question about it. I want my children to understand that. Why? Because I don't want them to find themselves before the throne of God and think, oh, this is a free pass. No big deal. This is just transitioning to heaven. It's going to be a sad reality when you get there and you realize I have to make amends for my life. I need to take account for what I did. God gave me life. I didn't always exist. This is a gift. God gave me the gift of life. How do I repay it? What am I going to tell God I did with this gift? That's important to consider. It's important to consider because that time will come. Well, here's the question of the day. How do I grapple with that in my own life? Because if I want the Catholic Church to move forward in a positive way, if I want the Catholic Church to grow, it's going to come from the future generations. And it's going to come from whatever we're teaching our future generations. It's always interesting to me when I hear things like, oh, these millennials or generation X or generation Y and Look how bad they are. Look at what they do. And, you know, we pick on them. And, oh, they're so easy to be picked on. What's going on? Well, the question is, what were they taught? If there's a generation that's lazy, they were taught laziness. Because think about it, it's a whole generation. The generation before them, did we have the foresight to say, hey, we need to prepare for our future generation so that they're not lazy, so that they understand that there's a soul that they need to be working on, so that they understand that these truths of Christ are right in the middle here. Of between consolation and desolation. The Ten Commandments, something's, there's something really real about them because God wants our soul to be in a good state. Are we teaching that to our children? We need to, if we want to say, hey, you know what? I think that we want to have that uniformity of the Catholic Church again. We want to, we want to save the church. We want to be on that ship headed towards heaven. We want to know what the truth is so that we can apply that to our everyday lives. Well, I better start to come to terms with it myself first and then teach it to my kids. Well, how do we do that? How do we do that as the heads of the household, as moms and dads? Remember, I said the teaching, the education is happening all the time. It's not just limited to the classroom. As soon as I were to, if you were to visit somebody's house, how do you know in that house people are Catholic? How do you know that? Well, are there images of Christ? Are there images of Our Lady? Does it feel like there's a religious environment here? That's the first thing to consider. Did we prepare our home to be a place where our children are learning? It's something called line of sight. When I look around the house, am I inspired everywhere I look? Can I get a little bit of an inspiration? Is there a cross? Is there a crucifix? Is there an icon? Is there an image of Our Lady? Is there the Ten Commandments on the wall in a frame? Uh, are there Bibles around? Bibles, not pristine looking Bibles. Are there Bibles that look like you can open them, that have been read, that have been used a little bit? Something that's very comfortable looking that I can open it up and not worry about. I'm going to tear the pages, so I better close it and put it away. The Bible was meant to be used. Do our children see us as parents with a rosary in our hand? That's the first education right there. We learn from what we see. People, the world knows this very well. This is why there's advertisement, right? When we look at commercials, it's all visual. I don't even know what they're saying half the time, but you're going to see they want to get that visual. They want to say, hey, let's look at this pretty lady here selling you this can of Coke. Or let's look at this handsome man selling you this very expensive car. Or let's look at all these things. It's very visual. Well, 
what kind of advertisement am I doing in my home? Do I have my rosary in hand? Do I have my Bible in hand? Do my kids see me reading the Bible? Do my kids ever see me kneeling down, praying the rosary? Do they see a scapular around my neck ever? You know, is there, uh, do, do they ever see me sitting down and reading the catechism? These are important things to consider. Why? Because if they never saw that, how are they going to repeat it? Now, it's not to say that, you know, my 10-year-old is going to say, wow, look at dad reading the Bible. I better go grab my Bible and read it as well. Probably won't happen that way. But you know what you're doing? We're doing the advertisement early. They're seeing the Bible. It's not something new to them. As they get older, it's not going to be out of the ordinary to say, hey, maybe I'm going to pick up and read the Bible. Why? Because I saw that over and over. I saw my parents doing that. I saw mom, you know, taking out her rosary beads and just praying. Why are you praying, mom? Just to pray. Oh, did something happen? No, nothing spell. I mean, you know, woke up, we're here. But uh, did something bad happen? Because a lot of times, you know, we see people with our rosaries when something bad happens because we need to, um, you know, pray for something. No, it's just another day. Every day we got to pray. This is what we do. We got to worship God. You know, why is dad on his knees over there? Did he have a bad day at work? Is he worried about something? What's going on? He's he's in front of the sacred heart uh, image there and he's praying. Dad, are you okay? Of course I'm okay. Why are you praying? What's going on? Well, because we got to pray. Do we ever just say that to our kids? Do they ever see that? Well, I'm going to go to mass today. Hey guys, you know, uh, I want to go to mass a weekday here. Does anybody want to go with me? Let's, uh, let's all go. That's where our kids truly learn the Catholic faith. When we really practice our faith, when there's no need to practice our faith, shall we say, there's always a need, but when it's not an emergency, sometimes we're limited to emergencies, deaths, something along those lines. I better pray now. Nope. Let's pray on the everyday. Let's practice and let's be Catholic on the everyday. How do we do that? Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we come back from our break. All right, folks. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Sandoval Show. Today, we're talking about how do we really teach our kids in our modern world? How do we discern the spirit of the world, especially as parents? What mindset do we have to have? Well, I'll tell you what, folks. The first thing we need to do is, as parents, as a dad, I'm thinking for myself in particular, what mindset do I have to have? What am I fighting for? What's the point of all this? Why even teach my kids about the faith? Well, here's the the reality of it all. We have to ask ourselves, is there a truth or not? Do we want to live a good Catholic life or not? Do we believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord of and King of this world? Do I believe that Jesus came down and died for my sins because there is going to be an afterlife and I'm going to have a choice to make and I need to be prepared for that choice? Am I going to be ready to choose heaven or am I going to say, I'm not fit for heaven? Am I going to be ready to say, you know what? I think I, even though I failed and I sinned, I want to turn to God's mercy and say, God, you were right. I was wrong. And that's okay because now I can get into heaven. It's not about me. It's about you, God. Am I ready to accept that in my life? And do I believe that by accepting that, I affect the rest of the world? Do I believe that there is a good and an evil? And that I need to pick a side as to what side to be on because there are consequences. At the end of the day, do I believe that God made me with an eternal soul that can either be an eternal joy and bliss with God or an eternal punishment and damnation in hell? That's really what it comes down to, folks. That's the bottom line, the end of the day, the four last things, right? Death, heaven, 
hell, purgatory, judgment, all these things. Is that what is that what we're here on earth? What are we here on earth for? Are we here to really have a career? Or if all this went away, if all society broke down, and I found myself on a deserted island somewhere, do I still have a choice to make between heaven and hell? Am I still going to come to a point where I die someday? There's no longer, shall we say, a business model on this deserted island, but I still have a choice that I'm going to have to make because my soul is still alive. God still has a purpose for me. And at the end of the day, there's going to be a heaven and a hell. That can be a scary thought unless I've been given the truth, the truth about how I need to lead my life, and ultimately the truth that there is a God who I need to worship and who I need to say thank you for giving me existence an all-powerful God who loves me. Do I want that message to be trickled down into future generations? Because when I see my kids and I want to teach them about the Catholic faith, I got to realize I'm not just teaching my kids. I'm actually teaching my grandkids. If I want this to move on, you know, we have family traditions, right? And a lot of times people, we have heirlooms and we say, oh, I have this beautiful, very expensive watch. I'm going to give it to my child and I want him to give it to his child. But guess what? If I have a beautiful, expensive watch that I'm going to give to my son, I'm going to teach my son all about it. And I'm going to want him to understand it and to love it and to realize that this came down from his great, great grandfathers and it's been in the family. It's a tradition. And I need him to carry on this tradition. And when he gets married and has children of his own, I need him to pass it on. But I need to explain to him how beautiful this this timepiece is, how exquisite it is, how it's priceless at this point, how it's so important in our family because it means something to our family. I need him to hold on to it and pass it on. Because that's really what it comes down to. I got to realize, well, I'm just holding on to this for future generations. I'm going to, if this is a family heirloom, I'm going to pass it on to my kids and I need to let them know that they have to continue to pass it on. And I need to give them the exact reasons why. And I need to tell them why it's so important. I need to tell them what to tell his kids about it so that he continues to pass this on. This has to stay in the family. That's really what it comes down to. This is true. Secret family recipes, shall we say. Oh, this is your grandma's recipe and she gave it to me. And guess what? I'm going to give it to you and I need you every Thanksgiving, every Christmas. This is what you need to cook up. You need to have this beautiful recipe because this is in our family. It belongs to our family. It's about our family. Don't ever sell it. Don't ever give away our secret. Hold on to it because this represents a big part of our family. We hold on to things like that all the time. Well, what about the deposit of the faith? What about the truth about life? You know, in philosophy, there was always a question of what is life? What is death? We have these big questions. We got the answer. We got the answer from Jesus Christ. He tells us himself, I am the life. God is life. The reason you have life is because of God. And guess what? I'm making you a promise. I'm making you a promise that if you follow these rules here while you're on this earth, you're going to come and you're going to join me in a divine way. I'm going to share my divinity with you. No, you're not going to be God, but you're going to be sharing in that divinity. Am I ready to pass that family heirloom on to my kids? Am I ready to make sure that my grandchildren have that family heirloom? Shall we call it that? The deposit of the faith, that's really what it comes down to. The perennial teachings of the Catholic Church, notice that they're perennial, meaning that they will always be there. That's the mindset I need to have as a parent. You know, when I pick up that rosary, when I'm holding that Bible in my hand, I got to remember, yes, I want to take care of my soul, but I'm responsible for the education of my children, which really means I'm responsible for the future generations. I can only think of it, and I would say that, you know, people might say, oh, please, you think you're Abraham or something along those lines. I think we're all Abraham. And what I mean by that is this, the same way God told Abraham, look, look up at the sky and you're going to have descendants like the stars. Now, of course, if we read that Bible passage and we've done any little bit of Bible study, we realize that 
probably went out there in the noonday. There probably weren't any stars that he could see. And God told, God told him, look, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. The reality is if you go out there during the day, you can't see the stars, but they're there. And God's making him the promise that, hey, you're going to have these big descendants. Well, <clears throat> that's kind of how it is for us. I got to realize that if I have children, they're going to have children of their own. And they're going to have children of their own. Am I passing on the deposit of the faith? Am I letting them know, hey, you got to discern the spirits of the world. You got to discern between consolation and desolation. You got to realize that sometimes you're going to feel really good and sometimes you're not going to feel good, but you got to follow God either way. Whether you're winning or you're losing, you got to keep God right there in the middle of your life. Does it matter or not? That's what it comes down to, folks. Is there a truth or not? Is there a heaven and a hell or not? Am I going to have to eventually make that choice? Now, while I'm navigating this earth, while I'm navigating this path, I'm going to build my soul up to that point to make that choice, to decide for God or not for God. What are the rules of the game, shall we say? And it's not a game, but you know what I mean. What are the rules? What is it that we have to do? Well, let me pick up my rosary and tell you a little bit about the life of Christ. Let me tell you about what we're going to join to. Let me tell you about our family, our heavenly family. Let me tell you that Jesus is your brother. Mary is your mother. We have a father in heaven. We have the Trinity. We're going to pray the Our Father because that's what Jesus taught us to pray. We are Catholic. How many times do we sit with our kids and say, hey, we are Catholic and this is what it means? That's what it comes down to, folks. We're going to teach the future generations and we're going to remind them that they're Catholic, but because we're going to look at our own Catholic faith and how well I'm practicing it. Every move I do, every time I put on my scapular, every time there's a cross in my home, kids are going to know dad put that up for a reason. And guess what? When it comes to them having their own family, they're going to take that heirloom. They're going to say, we should probably put it up because I remember how I felt when dad did that. I remember how I felt when he took me aside and said, hey, you know what? We don't behave that way because we're Catholic. We don't say these things because we're Catholic. And that means something. Let me tell you what that means. Here, let's sit down and read the catechism. Guess what? Down the road, future generations will do the same. And in that way, we teach our children, we discern the spirits, and until next week, we're going to keep it Catholic.